Welcome into the Locked On Knicks podcast, a winless weekend for the New York Knicks. Do they miss Mitchell Robinson? Yes. How much? A lot. We'll break it all down. Plus, Obi Toppin doesn't play after an incredible first half. What that means for him, what that tells us about Tom Thibodeau, next on Locked On Knicks. You are Locked On Knicks, your daily New York Knicks podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. And I think we see Willis coming out. There he comes right now. You are locked on Knicks, and today's episode is brought to you by Prize Picks. First time users can receive a 100% instant deposit match up to $100 with promo code locked on. That's prizepicks.com, promo code locked on. We want to thank you for making Locked On Knicks your first listen today and every day. If you weren't aware, you should be because we say it a lot. But let's, let's say you're here for the first time. Uh, we are now available on all platforms and that includes on YouTube. But if you haven't already, I'd be shocked if you haven't already. But if you haven't already, uh, please go throw us a subscription. Uh, it is a, a big help to us. And to make sure that you never, ever miss a video. But who's talking to you? I am Gavin Shaw, your favorite play-by-play broadcaster's favorite play-by-play broadcaster. He's Alex Wolf, editor-in-chief of the Strickland, the greatest Knicks website in the whole wide world. Alex, not a great weekend for the New York Knicks as they fall 139 to 124 against the Atlanta Hawks. That is not an overtime score. That was 139 points scored by the Hawks in regulation. And then uh, they lose a, a, a brutal one tonight, 125 to 116 against the Toronto Raptors, falling uh, to one and three in the season series against the Raptors in their final meeting uh, during the regular season. Um, the Knicks desperately missed Mitchell Robinson this weekend. Jericho Sims did his best, didn't miss a shot all weekend. That was great. I thought Isaiah Hartenstein, Alex, had some really good moments against the Raptors, but this team is dramatically different without Mitch on the court. Yeah, and uh, things aren't going to get any easier. You know, like they go one and three against the Raptors. Well, newsflash, they're going to have to face the, the tougher teams in the division a lot more coming up soon. A lot of games against the Celtics, the Nets, and the Sixers coming up in the next month or so. Uh, like through early to mid-March, they're going to be playing them quite a bit. Uh, so, yeah, it was it was an ugly weekend, and, and they really did miss Mitch a ton. I mean, I like Jericho Sims. On paper, the stats look pretty good, but there's just such a huge difference in having Mitchell Robinson start a game and the impact that he has on the defensive end versus having Jericho Sims start a game and the impact that he has on a game defensively. I mean, he has moments of brilliance rebounding the ball, and yet other times where, I, like especially against the Raptors, I would have expected him to feast more, and he didn't really against that team, uh, considering that's a team that doesn't really play a traditional center and it should not be as good rebounding the ball as they are against the Knicks, but they just kind of always seem to swarm to the rebounds, which the Knicks just seemed not quite as interested in doing as, as has been the case against the Raptors. And then, you know, it's just, I, I couldn't help but think like, what did the Knicks do from here? Because, you know, you could have maybe talked yourself into, all right, well, maybe they'll be able to make things work without Mitch. And, you know, it's, it's like, 
all right, you know, they've got a couple teams in the Hawks and the Raptors that are not having the seasons maybe that they thought that they would coming into this year. And maybe you can, you know, kind of pull yourself up and, and win these games. And yet they just, especially down the stretch of the games, when that sort of Mitch defense, you know, defending the rim and getting those key rebounds and everything would be so key was when things fell apart for the Knicks in those two games. Uh, it, it really, I, I don't know what the answer is going to be for these. What is it? Three to isn't it? It was pretty ambiguous, right? Isn't it like three to six weeks is his timetable for coming back or something like that. Yeah. So he'll be, he'll be checked up in three weeks basically, yeah. which, which generally like based on the OB timeline means like, it'll be another like two weeks after that, that he comes yeah. back. I mean, it's, it's going to be a brutal stretch until he gets back in that case. And you know, they, they got to figure something out here because I just, I don't see this where, like, I think they'd have to look for a trade or something at this point to try to shore up the front line because otherwise I just, they need someone that can at least come close to replicating what Mitch can do if they want to succeed with him out. Because otherwise it's, we're going to be for a lot of really high scores and a lot of really rough outcomes if things continue the way they are right now. Yeah, so Mitchell Robinson, the advanced stats, like you, you would think it would be Jalen Brunson, you would think it would be Julius Randle, but the the numbers paint Mitchell Robinson as, as the single most indispensable player on the Knicks. The last guy they could afford to lose, Alex. They are 11 points per 100 possessions, better with him on the court this year than when he's off the court. That is worth, um, according to Cleaning the Glass, 26 wins. Um, they play like a 59-win team when he's on the court. Um, they play like a 53 team, 53 win team when he's off the court. So last year they would have been um, the number one seed in the Eastern conference uh, with him on the court. They would have been out of the playoffs uh, with him, with him not on the court. Um, so that is, that is significant, obviously. And it's not, um, and, and our friend, Jonathan Macri and Nick's film school did a great job outlining this in his newsletter last week. It's not in all the ways you expect teams, weirdly enough, actually shoot better um, at the rim when Mitch is on the court. And you look at that initially um, and say, all right, that's weird. Like, is that just a volume thing? And they also take more shots at the rim when Mitch is on the court. Um, the difference is, um, at, at least as the theory goes, that the Knicks can press up to three-point shooters um, when Mitchell Robinson is protecting the rim, saying like, hey, like if they have to go to the basket, like, and, and Mitch has to be a one-man army there, as we've seen him do all year long, like they're going to be in for a challenge. And, and this year, teams are shooting 5.4% um, better from three-point range uh, when Mitchell Robinson is on the court than when he's off. That is in the 81st percentile in the entire NBA in, in terms of difference. Um, and, and the difference, it's, it's not just defense. They're five and a half points better offensively when he's on the court. They're 5.4 points better defensively when he's on the court. And, and I think, I mean, I'm, I'm throwing a lot of numbers at you guys, but those all bear out if you watch the games. I mean, I think you saw in the Hawks game, the thing that kind of irked me was DeJounte Murray getting to the middle of the floor over and over and over again and it felt like that was Tom Thibodeau and this like look I have a lot to criticize this weekend on Tom Thibodeau this isn't like it, it just sort of felt like an inevitability he was like all right we have to concede something if we're going to give iHeart and Sims extra help at the rim if we're going to um, press up on their three-point shooters and, and try to not let Trey Young try to not let Bogdanovich uh, DeAndre Hunter all go off um, we'll, we'll concede the mid range and DeJounte Murray, man. I mean, some of it was tough shot making Alex, but he completely picked them apart, finished 14 for 25. And that was just with one made three. He shot 13 for 21 from two point range. So I thought that was pretty emblematic. I thought the 
the Raptors offensive rebounding was, was a good example of what happens when Mitchell Robinson's on the game 17 in this one. And look, the Raptors have done that every time they played the Knicks. So that always would be a problem. But even, even when people critique Mitch for his defensive rebound, the Knicks still significantly better rebounding team when he's on the court than when he's off the court. So we could go over it. There's a million ways that Mitchell Robinson makes a difference, but this team is, I mean, this, this could all fall apart without Mitch. Yeah, it really could. And and again, I, I just find myself wondering what the solution will be. I I don't think the solution is on the roster, obviously. You know, I think we'll probably talk about it in the next segment a little bit, but you know, maybe the solution is is saying, hey, let's at least give the Randall and Obi thing a shot a little bit, because otherwise, like just Hartenstein and, and Sims just cannot give you what Mitch can in either the rebounding department or the shot contest department. So, you know, what's the point of, of committing basically all of your center minutes to those guys. If, if they can't turn in a, a, and even like an 80% replica of Mitchell Robinson, like I think that Sims struggles to even hit a 30% replica of Mitchell Robinson. And that's not a knock on Sims. It's just, as you said, the stats paint Mitch is maybe the most statistically significant player on this team from an advanced stats perspective. Uh, and from an impacting the game perspective. And, you know, I think it just, it led to so many backbreaking plays for the Knicks in this game. Like I, there's one play that stands out in my mind where the, the Raptors generated a second chance on a rebound where I just saw myself being like, if Mitch was in the game, he would have gotten that. And instead it becomes a second chance. They get it out to Gary Trent Jr. Who gets a wide open three and honestly had, had Trent hit more of the wide open threes that were generated by the offensive rebounds. Like the Raptors could have blown the Knicks out of the water sooner than they did uh, because he was getting tons of open looks by these second chance opportunities, even though they were playing, you know, Barnes, Siakam, uh, Chris Boucher. Uh, I don't even think that Coloco didn't even hit the floor in this one. And Coloco had played in the previous match. And that's like the closest thing that the Raptors have to a, you know, traditional big man. And yet they still just like were working the Knicks on the offensive glass in this game. They end up with, I think what was 17, 17 offensive boards. Yeah. in this one, and also uh, out rebounded the Knicks and, or no, sorry, did not quite out rebound the Knicks in general, but came close enough, which, you know, when they're making shots as well as they were too, you can't afford to have the rebounding advantage be only a, a two rebound advantage. Uh, when you're just not scoring the ball as well as that team, but Gavin, I think this I think this dovetails pretty nicely in the discussion that we want to have, which is particularly in the Raptors game, Obi Toppin seemed to have found himself again, and yet could not find the floor. So we'll talk about that in just a second. But uh, did you want to perhaps let people know our favorite daily fantasy game before we get into that? Yeah, uh, it's it's of course uh, there's only there's only one place to go, Alex. It's it's Prize Picks. Um, uh, tomorrow night uh, when the Knicks are back in action against the Cleveland Cavaliers, I'm going to take RJ Barrett. Who's on, we're, we're going to get to this. I promise I'm quite the hot streak over 24 and a half points. RJ keeps on cooking. I'm taking Julius Randall, man, over 14 rebounds. Like how, how automatic is that of late? I'm taking Jalen Brunson on a bounce back game, passing the ball over five and a half assists. Um, so how does it all work? All you have to do is pick two to six players. And if they go score more or less than their prize picks projection, you can win up to 25 times your money. 
on any entry. So there's no competing against other people. Like, you know, the experts out there, the, the, the guys who just have, have that edge of having lived in their mom's basement the last 20 years and just, 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 they, they got spreadsheets. They, they know how Excel works. Um, you're not going to compete with those guys. You don't have to hunt prize picks. It's just you versus the projections available. Um, they have every single sport you can imagine. I promise you that. And entries can be made in 60 seconds or less. It's that easy. They offer safe and fast withdrawals, and it's currently operational over 30 states in Canada. So download the PrizePix app or go to prizepix.com to sign up and play daily fantasy sports. First-time users can receive a 100% instant deposit match up to $100 with promo code LOCKEDON. If you deposit $100, PrizePix will give you $100. If you deposit $50, PrizePix will give you $50. Don't forget to enter promo code LOCKEDON and sign up for an instant deposit match up to $100. Um, Alex, I, as we as we're back on the Locked On Knicks podcast, I want to I want to get into Obi Toppin in just a sec, but I had two or three more thoughts on the Mitchell Robinson thing because I I think you were getting at this. There's such a cascading effect to him being out defensively, and I think one of the obvious ones and like one of the clearest problems the Knicks had when they were um, a bottom five defense in the early part of their season, even when Mitch was playing. But also we got to note that Mitch missed a, a pretty significant chunk of games earlier this year, and that contributed to that low rating. Is they already have a tendency to overhelp even when Mitch is out there. That gets so exacerbated when he is not in the game. I mean, I, I saw it happen multiple times in the first quarter where Jalen Brunson was was sitting like off of Gary Trent, a shooter you can't really help off of. And, and he he was trying to have a foot like borderline adjacent to the paint. And Trent got one or two just wide open threes from Brunson sitting there. Scotty Barnes, who admittedly isn't a great shooter, uh, got a three because Randall was literally the fourth body in the paint on, I can't remember if it was Van Fleet. It might've been Siakam. Someone was driving to the rim and there were already three guys there and Randall sought to go help anyways. And, and you could argue like, look, Mitch or no Mitch, it's not a situation where Randall needed to help. Scotty Barnes isn't a great shooter. The point is you have that confidence when Mitchell Robinson is out there that he's going to erase that shot. And when he's not in there and you, and you know, I heart who's a decent rim protector, but probably isn't getting a clean cut block. And Jericho Sims is great. If he has time to load the Springs, if not, He's kind of iffy at the rim. You're going to have guys like rotating over to the rim. Another big variable is Quentin Grimes, who um, low key is, is kind of struggled defensively these last few games. And it's not something I take any joy in talking about, because as you know, Alex, I'm, I look, look at my bold prediction from this year, president of the Quentin Grimes fan club over here, but he only played, what was it? 16 minutes against the Hawks because he got into foul trouble early. And a lot of that was him aggressively chasing Trey Young around screens. And Trey did the really annoying, uh, I want to use words that I can't use on this podcast thing, where he just stops and and lets you run into him and then shoots and takes the contact and and draws the foul. But Grimes, I think, has that head of steam in those situations because he knows Mitchell Robinson isn't there and help and isn't there to step up on Trey Young. And Tibbs, um, to many people's chagrin, doesn't really vary up his screen, uh, not his screens, his, his schemes on screens uh, with Hartenstein and Sims in the game. And they're still playing drop. And for Sims in particular, like he's much better when he comes up to the level generally. And you're conceding shots that you don't concede when Mitch is in there because Grimes and Mitch Alex just have such good chemistry in terms of that dance on the pick and roll. And Mitch knows exactly the balance at this point to play of like how much I can step up and how much I can recover to the rim. And part of that is experience and basketball IQ that he has over the other two centers. But part of it is just that he's a seven foot one freak with crazy long arms who can jump a million feet up in the air. And that gives him a little bit more wiggle room and a little bit more leeway than the other centers have on those plays. And it wasn't just a Hawks game. Fred Van Vliet dropped 14 points on Grimes 
in this first quarter. And a lot of it was Grimes was going under screens and, and everyone, the Knicks was going under screens on Van Fleet because they wanted to wall off the paint without Mitchell Robinson. So you see all these different ways Tom Thibodeau is compensating to try and make up for the loss of Robinson. And, and it's kind of like, I mean, I, I made this analogy, unfortunately about this, the Knicks a million times this year, but it's like the boat like springs a leak and you plug it up and then just two, three, four more leaks pop up immediately and you can't plug all the holes. And I think we're going to see that over and over and over again for the Knicks until Mitchell Robinson comes back. But Alex, like again, like making the issue all the worse is the fact that when you discover a really good offensive option in Obi Toppin, Tibbs refuses to play him. Yeah, I'll just close the Mitch discussion. Two things that I happen, well, one connected thing that I happen to think of when you were just talking is hmm. Mitch. The other thing too about him playing drop, and you alluded to this, is that he has proven for years that even when he's playing drop, he might get a good enough jump to still block your three point shot, and I think yeah. that scares enough people. Whereas Sims, you could see, is so confused when he's playing drop because I think his natural inclination and he got to do this when he was playing the four, which is probably why we saw some of his better, like those weirdly good couple weeks with him and Hartenstein as the, the four and five was because he was getting to stick to guys more when he was the, the quote unquote four on the floor and would get to stick on the perimeter where he's actually quite a bit better as like a man defender. He's sort of like Randall in that regard where he's better if you let him just stick to his man then try to have him play drop coverage because he just doesn't seem to, he definitely doesn't have, he has the springs to get up, but he doesn't have the, the blocking ability that uh, a Mitch does, you know, to truly scare somebody if he's in drop and they go to pull up for three and he jumps at it. Um, so yeah, just, it just complicates things all the further, but yes, Obi Toppin, if, if it's not obvious enough, I've been dying to talk about this. I mean, the Toronto game in particular was just, a horrendous misuse of a player that clearly was finding a stride again. And I don't understand it. I mean, it's, it, it almost is starting to feel like Obi is like destined for the same fate as Cam Reddish apparently now, where I guess they're just going to like play him as little as humanly possible uh, to try to keep him healthy for a trade or something, because I don't know how you can have a guy score 14 points in 10 and a half minutes and be like, no, I don't need more of that today against a team without good size when we're like not really standing out on the rebounds anyway, when, you know, we clearly need some offensive punch to, you know, make this comeback or whatever. Obi basically single-handedly led the comeback in the first half for the Knicks and made things interesting going into the second half and then saw what it, how much time did he even get in the second half? It can't have been more than like, he th- played some three like, minutes. Uh, it was three the minutes first three minutes of the fourth, right? Yeah, yeah. just it, absolute insanity. And I mean, even in the first half, he was playing so well, and yet Tibbs's stubborn necessity to get Julius Randle back in when he wanted to get him in made him say, "Oh, well, there's no way that I could keep a guy in that's just made four out of five threes in the last like four minutes or whatever. I have to." sub him out because it's time for Julius Randle to come back in. And it's just, it's just one of those one, one of a million moments over the last few years where you just look at what Tibbs does and you say like, how are you so single-minded in your approach to how you coach a very open-minded game? Like basketball is, is, is maybe one of the most like, like we're not talking about mid game and baseball here saying like, Hey, outfielder, you know, come play shortstop. It, the things are not that crazy, you know, focused. Yeah, in, rigid. 
and rigid in this sport versus other sports. Or like, it's not saying like, Hey, running back, go play quarterback. Now, you know, it's basketball is not like that basketball. Everybody does very similar things. Like, the ultimate point of the game, everybody does offense more or less the same way, but has their strengths and weaknesses. Defense, you know, everybody has their roles, but like you can slot guys in and do stuff a little differently. Like you don't have to do this like one for one swap all the time. And that just seems to be how Tibbs's mind works. But Obi, I felt so bad for the poor guy. Had uh, finally looked like he was getting himself back to himself in this game against the Raptors and yet had no opportunity to spread his wings because Tibbs clipped them before like as he was taking off it was like Tibbs like threw the lasso up and pulled him back down to earth it was like no sir nope it's Julius's turn to come back on go back to the bench like I I don't understand he had four threes he had a, a breakaway dunk in transition which we haven't seen I feel like since he got back or like I've only seen maybe one of and in general looked like he was starting to find himself and then just had it taken away from him and of all the teams to not try that against, I don't understand why Tibbs decided the Raptors were the team that he once again had to play a true center against the entire game when the Raptors literally their whole identity is not having a true center on the court at any time. And I just it made no sense to me. Yeah. And there's just there's diminishing returns when you don't have Mitchell Robinson. Right. Because if it's one thing to say, all right, we're cutting Obi's minutes so we can get. Mitch out there, and with all the stats I, I just threw out there, you got to say, all right, like Mitch, arguably most important player on this team. You got to play him. He's not here. So why not be really good at offense if the defense is going to have its struggles anyways um, for the minimal difference that iHeart and Sims make at the rim, especially on a night. And and look, I if like if Obi's not shooting well and he's not giving you anything and, and there have been games since Obi's come back which which makes sense given how few minutes he's playing and the pressure on him to play well when he comes in there there have been times where he looked completely lost and it looks like he can't help the team at all that wasn't the case tonight beyond the three point shooting like he he just seems so under control like he he had one play once he had a couple of threes where he got a hard close out from Pascal Siakam he threw a pump fake out there he got the blow by Scotty Barnes stepped up he just slipped it to Isaiah Hartenstein for a dunk and Alex, I mean, this is, I think, what we've been getting at for years. Like, there's a compound, excuse me, I'm, I'm choking on it because I'm so angry. <laughs> there, there's a compounding effect when you get multiple really good passers out on the court, especially when the Raptors go zone and it's flummoxed you now three or four times against this team and you've struggled every single time they do it. Why not get someone like Obi Toppin who can make quick decisions with the basketball? And has some gravity, so he's stretching the defense out all the more. I mean, the best stretch the Knicks had offensively in this game, for my money, outside of the third quarter where they just got really, really hot, um, was early in that second with the bench unit. And it wasn't just because Obi was hitting threes. It was because Obi was making quick decisions. It was because Fournier was making decisions. And honestly, I hate to take shots at them because with, with Brunson, at least we haven't done it all season, but Brunson and Randall, um, they got better in the second half, or, or at least Randall did, but both of them were really struggling against double teams. They were struggling against the different looks the Hawks presented defensively because they wanted to hold the ball and do it all themselves while Obi just would, would touch it and he would either put it right up or he would dribble and make the next pass. And that's what Obi Toppin always does. And against the zone defense with a lot of length, you want good decision makers. And just as importantly, you want quick decision makers. 
and no Obi robbed us of that. So Alex, I can't help but wonder, this, this is something a um, friend of the pod, uh, everyone go listen to pod Strickland um, for an expletive laden rant on this. Uh, Schwinnie Pooh pointed out um, are, I, I guess they're going to trade him, right? Because he can't really play better than that. And if he's not going to play more than 11 minutes playing at his best, he deserves to be somewhere else. And that sucks because we love the guy, but it's not fair to him at a certain point. He's 24 years old about to be, or he maybe he's 25 already. Um, like he, he needs the opportunity to, as you said, like spread his wings and fly. Yeah. I'm, I'm with you there. Uh, and you know, if you want to bet on Obi Toppin's next destination, you might be able to do so at our new, uh, our new partner for sports betting, which is fan dual sportsbook and the NFL playoffs are here as well. And we're really excited about our new sports betting partner for locked on because they're the number one sports book in America FanDuel. And if you're new to FanDuel, that's even better. They have so many great features that make betting on sports fun and easy new customers. You could join today to get started with $150 in free bets guaranteed. When you place your first $5 bet, just sign up at FanDuel.com slash locked on. FanDuel has all your favorite bets from the money line to point spread to player props. Plus, you can even combine your bets for a chance at a bigger payout with a same game parlay. That's my absolute favorite thing to do. I love same game parlays. My favorite thing is to do like, I always call it uncut gem style bets on FanDuel, where I go in there and I just pick like 15 different things on a same game parlay. I almost had one hit earlier this year. And it was like a $10 bet that would have paid me like almost $1,000. And I was like one leg away. And it was really heartbreaking that it didn't pay out. But pretty awesome. So that that's my big recommendation to do on FanDuel. All that is on an app that's safe, secure, and super easy to use. So football fans and basketball fans, I'll shout out basketball fans, don't miss out. Place your first $5 bet to get $150 in free bets, win or lose at fanduel.com slash locked on make every moment more with fanduel the official the official sportsbook partner of the nfl and of course of locked on all right gavin we're back to continue talking about this i could probably continue going on about ob but it's going to depress me a little bit uh so let's instead talk about rj barrett who i think has finally found himself over the last two games if there's anything good to talk about it's the fact that rj seems to be back in the saddle again uh, as far as shooting efficiently looking like the player that was really starting to tear it up before he got his finger removed from his body temporarily um <laughs> in that that grizzly by, this, by the slovenian slasher himself slovenian slasher himself yes uh but two fantastic games here first against atlanta rj ends up with 23 points on nine of 16 shooting three of five from three uh, also had three rebounds, two assists, and a steal in that game. And then against Toronto, as Clyde always loves to point out, hometown. It's the hometown for Barrett. Uh, 30 points on 10 of 18, shooting four of eight from deep. Uh, did only shoot six of nine from three or from free throw, I mean to say, which was a little disappointing, but also seven boards and five assists. And Gavin, uh, you know, I, I I know it's, you know, I mean, Randall ended up with eight assists and and Brunson with five to match Barrett, but as you were kind of alluding to, those guys were having a little bit of trouble with the pressure uh, or, or the the extra attention they were getting for their offensive exploits in this game against the Raptors. I thought RJ did a really good job of not letting that get to him and and having a really good passing game as well as a really good scoring game. And my ultimate takeaway, as far as RJ is concerned, with what the big difference was, 
I feel like huge the the big huge like neon sign thing for RJ is the shot starts going down and he starts getting foul calls. Like mm-hmm. those two things, especially in the Toronto game, that was like the biggest difference. Like in a game where just like the last game against the Raptors, the refs were really weird with what they were calling fouls, what they weren't, you know, it seemed like they were really letting them go at it, especially like on rebounds and everything. Like there was just tons and tons of contact on like every single play that wasn't getting called. RJ did manage to get a pretty good whistle in this game, which maybe was making up for the fact that he did not get a foul call on his should have been, it could have been game winning three point play dunk of the last uh, Knicks Raptors game. But I, I just thought that that was the huge difference for him. Like the three point shots started going in. So they started respecting that. Then he was able to attack the closeouts and stuff and get inside and generate contact and get free throws out of it. And I thought that it just led to a fantastic game for him. Yeah, so let me let me throw a crazy stat your way. Um, this is via uh, uh, Kirthika Uthaya Kumar, um, who does, um, I believe, stats for NBA.com, uh, specifically for the Raptors. Um, and she pointed out that R.J. Barrett is the first player with three 30-point games against the Raptors in a single season since LeBron James back in 2013-14. And... On one hand, you could throw out, all right, that's a little random. Like the Raptors aren't as good defensively this year as they've been in past years. But I will note, they still have a couple of the better perimeter defenders in the entire league in Scotty Barnes and OG Ananobi. Pascal Siakam has a million foot long arms and is, is waiting for you at the basket. Fred Van Vliet is being an annoying little gnat um, who I would absolutely love if he was on the New York Knicks um, and just poking and prodding at the ball the whole time. Um, and for RJ to do that against his hometown team, that that screams star to me. Um, almost like like you could you could throw the stats out there. We could throw the inefficiency from early in the season. Anything else like him stepping up in those games that should be the highest pressure for him specifically is incredibly encouraging to me. Um, and the other thing that's incredibly encouraging to me for a guy who has absolutely struggled finishing at the rim at points in his career. Earlier this year specifically, it felt like he was shooting something like 8% on floaters. Like they would always find a way to not go in. Um, and his ability to just hit those little push shots, like it, it's almost like he monstered Isaiah Hartenstein at some point in the last few weeks, which makes sense given that Hartenstein never makes those shots anymore. Um, he feels automatic on those shots now. And and it's I, I can't quite put my finger on it. Um our friend on Twitter, a DP, um, I believe it's at Captain Pearl. Hopefully I'm getting that right. Um, noted that um, a lot of RJ's floaters now are a full stop before a pivot or a jump hook. This is a direct quote from him. He's taken almost no one-footed floaters recently, and it's worked great. He's been so much more efficient. And that that is kind of what I'm noticing too. He just seems much more under control on those types of plays. And even on his threes, it feels like his balance is better. It feels like earlier this season he was being sped up and he was kind of letting the defense or, or his need to take a shot after not taking one for a while, dictate how he was playing and what he was doing. And now it feels like he's the one doing the dictating. And maybe that's just him feeling healthier, feeling like he's in better shape, but whatever it is, his, his sense of pace, his ability to deaccelerate and just take his time around the basket uh, combined with just with better balance and improved touch. Like he, he, he looks like, a completely different player to me. 
It's worth noting that he had a really destructive sequence to start the fourth quarter when the Knicks allowed a 9-0 run to the Raptors. I, I think it, it, he, it might have been two turnovers and two missed shots during that stretch. Like, had two just terrible, uh, terrible throwaways, um, including one where he was, like, stripped under the rim and then one where, like, he got under the basket and tried to do his cross-corner pass, but it wasn't anywhere close to open. And I think that's the frustrating thing with him. Like when, when he, when he gets too much on ball responsibility, it feels like he starts predetermining things he's going to do. And, and, and that, that tanked the Knicks tonight, but you know what? I, I look at that as a learning experience for a 22 year old. And there's so much more good than bad. Yeah, I, I think so too. And you know, what? like you'll take it. The whole team, it wasn't just him. Like the whole team kind of played like crap yeah. in the fourth quarter. And, you know, it comes down to it's it's like what we've been talking about for weeks now, but maybe there's starting to be a little bit of dead legs all across the team in the fourth quarter at this point because it seems like a consistent theme now that the Knicks are getting outplayed late in games uh, and letting either letting teams come back after they've built up a lead or working really hard to come back uh, like they did in the Hawks game and like they did in the, the uh, Raptors game and then just kind of losing it down the stretch. Um, because they just seem to run out of gas and it's the unfortunate thing. And it's not going to get any better because the injuries are mounting a little bit. Obviously, hopefully Quickly's injury is not, we haven't even mentioned that yet, but Quickly didn't play against the Raptors, which was very, very felt. Um, I mean, the, the the bench stretch in the the second half was so much more painful than the bench stretch in the first half. Um, and you could really feel Quickly's absence uh, with him not not being out there for the Knicks, uh, you know, and not having that extra bit of shot creation and creation for other players that were out there. Uh, like, I really wish that quickly had been around today for when Obi kind of figured things out again because they have one of the most dynamite combos, like, on the entire team uh, just between the two of them. So, really unfortunate. Yeah, hopefully his injury is okay. Hopefully – uh, Mitch has a good recovery because otherwise, as things continue to progress here, if more guys get hurt or whatever, I, the extended minutes are not going to get any better. Uh, and these guys, unfortunately, are going to keep seeming pretty tired to me, I think. Uh, so hopefully some trades come too at some point soon. If they do, though, we'll, of course, be here for it. Gavin, do you have anything to add before we sign off for today? I think we've pretty um, much covered it. Pretty depressing yeah. weekend all, all in all. Yeah, I'll end with one more negative note. I, I think uh, oh. I think Jalen <laughs> – yeah, sorry. <laughs> I think I think Jalen Brunson uh, can – I think this was um, – weirdly, even though the, the shot-making was was incredible as, as always, um, I think this might have been his worst uh, two-game stretch that I remember um, because he was, he was just really forcing the issue. And I, and I, I think it's going to be a big thing for him and Randall, like for this to work um, during the stretch that Mitchell Robinson's out, they're going to have to really trust guys like Quinn Grimes. They're going to have to trust RJ. They're going to have to trust Sims. They're going to have to trust iHeart. Like they can't do it all themselves. Like that's, that's when things get bad. And, and again, some of that falls on Tom Thibodeau because these guys, they looked, they looked worn out by the fourth quarter of this game. They look completely, what was it? It was a 23 to six run for the Hawks to start the fourth quarter of that game. This is this is a team that at points is is on its last legs and and you throw like something as simple as a zone at them like like the mental fatigue it takes to figure that out just seems like too much at times and and I don't I think that's I think that's an issue with the coach 
mostly in how he's played these guys and how he's used these guys, but there's, there's too much on their plate. And part of that's Tom Thibodeau, part of that's Julius and, and Jalen saying, all right, we gotta, we gotta put a little bit more trust in everyone else. So yeah, one more, one more, one more knife to the heart, Alex, to send everyone away. But uh, until next time, uh, he's Alex, I'm Gavin. Uh, we'll be back with you uh, tomorrow morning. Not, not quite sure what we're going to talk about yet, but I'm sure it'll be something fun, something interesting as always. And then plenty of recaps to get you through the rest of the week, five podcasts a week, your only daily New York Knicks podcast. It all starts right here on Lockdown Knicks. <laughs>